Hey there, ghosties. Thank you for joining us today on episode 67 of the Ghost Sites podcast. Today we sat down with Christian Lutz, German theater critic from Süddeutschen Zeitung out there in Germany. We had a great time talking to her about Harry Styles. I mean, why not? He's so dreamy. Talking about her career and her perspective on criticism in German theater and the ills that shape all life across the world. Just our perspectives on it. So I hope you enjoy. Please subscribe and like today. Tell a friend about it. And now, Dan, give us some of that war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. It is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. That name's got a ring to it like a wedding vow. And I'm bringing it back because it's such a good lyric. Anyway, I am here, episode 67 of the Ghost Lights podcast, with Christiane Lutz, a theater critic and, I'm going to say, theater artist herself, all the way from Germany. Hello, Christiane. How are you today? Hi, Sam. Good morning or good afternoon. It depends. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm good. I'm having a slow Sunday, you know. Mm. Those are the best kind of Sundays. Yeah. Do you have the Monday scaries already? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> what do you have? What do you have on the docket for this week of work? Oh man, so uh, we're gonna jump right in with it, right? Yeah, well, uh, whatever you can share with yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of a theater crisis going on in Germany at the moment because we had a small uh, Me Too scandal oh, no. um, at one of the big uh, theaters in Berlin, Germany. Yes, yes. The uh, artistic director um, resigned last week after a bunch of women, um, you know, came forward. Uh, anonymously accused him. Yes, mm. yes. Came forward. Is that what he said? So um, we're going to look into uh, structural problems of German theater next week. That's, that's what I will be doing. Talking, you know, interviewing people about ideas how like where is the problem in German theater like why do we have me two cases at the theater mm. and what are the ideas of people um what what we can change or what they can change absolutely god that's 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 a that is a lot for this this coming off the weekend to go right into um yeah yeah well i mean that's i mean so just, you know start with something light i thought absolutely no that's a good i mean just a little icebreaker on systematic <laughs> you know <laughs> misogyny and, and sexism and sexual harassment there's nothing nothing lighter than, than those subjects <laughs> yeah yeah um i have a question i started this this podcast um quoting a favorite rap lyric of mine are you a fan of lyrics and music, like the words and songs? I am. I am. Uh, the thing is that, obviously, since I listen to a lot of English music, I don't always get it right away, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> um, which makes it more of a challenge to actually look into it. But then again, I believe that uh, creates like a deeper insight into things because you have to make the effort to really listen. Or sometimes I will look it up online if it's English or uh, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, of course. So what's your, what, what have you got? What well, you I got? was just going to wonder, like, do you have a, like a couple of favorite quotes from a, from your favorite songs 
even if they're oh yeah even if they're in german or? yeah well of course well of course okay two there's two that come to my mind um one is uh of course by leonard cohen oh and it's uh and it's uh there's a crack in everything that is how the light gets in crack in everything which uh, and that is how there's I a think. crack in everything that is how the light gets in oh, yeah nice. and <laughs> Which also works for this podcast, right? Yeah. Because it's the, the ghost, ghost light podcast. That's right. We're just yeah. shining lights. So I think that is very deep. And another one I like to quote, which I also think is very deep, is uh, by Tori Amos. And it's uh, the truth lies in between the first and the 40th drink. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good that's a very good right? yeah i like that a lot yeah I, I normally um when we do a podcast like i usually have a beverage here next to me it helps keep me loose and a little you know yeah a little easier to navigate the winds of a conversation but it is eleven twenty-five over here in america right now and i'm like i think i think i'll wait i think i'll wait for that beverage we'll, we'll do that in the evening time yeah yeah but uh, oh, by so all you means, you normally have the talks in the evening. Oh yeah, usually yeah. Yeah. Are you? See, it's six thirty, six thirty in 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 Munich. I'm in Munich, Germany, mm-hmm. um, and we're eight hours ahead of you guys. <laughs> but I am having, as you can see, mm-hmm. people on the podcast can't see, but you can. It's a giant uh, mug of herbal tea. Oh, there you go. It's, see, it's it's. I'll switch later. To- <laughs> you know, switch later. Something a little a little harder than tea. Yeah. yeah. So Christiane, tell me, how did theater happen? Did you, how did you get into it? I think the the, the fact, how did it happen to you actually is uh, the right way of putting it. Because when I, when I speak of uh, how I got into becoming a theater critic, that certainly was not on my list because I always um, thought of theater as a hobby, Mm -hmm. right? I've started acting in school. I wasn't, as a lot of people are, like I was taking theater classes and we would put on little shows um, for, for, for people in our community. And um, other than in America, in Germany, art, unfortunately, is not really part of the actual schedule. Mm. It's something you choose to do in your spare time. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't, you know what I mean? In America, you can actually have this as an counting class in high school and in Germany you have to do it like in the in the afternoon so um I was in this volunteer theater group and and, you know carrying theater pieces like knitting costumes sewing stuff we would do everything ourselves we didn't really have the 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 technique and um so I and I then I studied theater in at the university in Munich and I always thought oh I love this so much um it's too close to me to 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 work with it, you know, mm-hmm. because if I uh, deal with theater professionally, I might lose the passion for oh. it, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's why I also, I didn't want to work at the theater, mm-hmm. which a lot of my, my, the people that I went to university with, a lot of them, you know, um, now work in theaters. Um, but I realized I didn't want to do that because I thought it was going to take the the pleasure away you know when you when you face reality you're so disappointed that uh, you know oh, totally you don't like going anymore totally. yeah so that's what I thought and when I started my my journalistic career I was writing not about theater mm. <laughs> I was writing I was writing about um 
Munich and, and the politics and Munich city life and stuff like that. And then um, there was an opening in the arts and culture section of the paper and they approached me and said, oh, uh, aren't you a theater person? <laughs> we see that on your resume. You went to school for that. Do you know anything about theater? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, then don't you want to try yeah. being a critic and work with us? And I really struggled because I thought I was going to, you know, I was going to have to give up my theater friends, right? Mm. Because I will be the critic and they'll be on stage. How, how do I do that? And um, I was afraid I was going to lose passion, you know, mm. by having to go. Um, to make it such a focus for your career. As yeah. Working at yeah. it might not feel as yeah. fun as it was when it was something you did to, I don't know unwind or as yeah. a fun activity as a hobby would be exactly and especially since i know so many people who work at the theater i feel like i'm so um i have an insight in the processes of how theater is being made you know that i will have difficulties to look at it from a professional angle you know mm. because i always feel connected to 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 the theater people, um, I was afraid I wasn't gonna be able to provide that cool professional look, you know, and like push the personal connections aside and just look at the results, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but then I, I um, they, they, my, my coworkers were cool. They said, "You just try, you know, you try, and if you if you see that um, it's not working for you, then please." might find a solution but of course you don't say no you know that was i start, i was only starting in my job mm. so basically that was a factor too oh, yeah, yeah. you know you get a yeah you get a job offer you don't say no mm -hmm. <laughs> in journalism i'm sure it's the same in america it's not like there are jobs lying around everywhere so um, yeah, especially these days if there's something offered to yeah. you pretty much jump on it i would yeah. assume yeah and especially yeah. if you're starting out you want to make sure that the company the, the company the the and your boss the editor is probably looking favorably on you if you're willing to jump into these opportunities exactly yeah, yeah exactly i couldn't say no i couldn't say no so when you started working in the yeah. uh, for the arts part of the newspaper what how did you notice a shift from your friends that were theater people or were, were they still supportive of your work and criticism oh Totally. They were totally supportive. Um, it was the opposite, actually. They said to me that it's to them it's important that theater critics also know the business mm -hmm. and know the circumstances, you know, and know the difficulties. And um, they were happy. I mean, from from what I heard, yeah. Um, they said, no, 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 we like it that you have like this passion for theater. We like it that you see theater as a whole and you know how difficult it can be sometimes to put up a production. Yeah. You know, of course you have to put that aside. You have to push that aside. When it's opening night, it's opening night. You can't look back on, oh, that one actor was really sick for a week or two, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might affect the results, but you cannot take that into account when you write a critic. So, um and also, like, the few close friends that I have in theater, I've tried to navigate around them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. You know, you can, you, you just open about this. You talk to your coworkers and you say, okay, so this director I'm friends with, so I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna write about his yeah, new show. Definitely. Because even if it's an yeah. honest, positive review, 
it could yeah. it could look bad to other people. And even the semblance exactly. of impropriety from I, I would I would my opinion on it is if a critic has that shadow, it could discredit mm-hmm. their entire work. True. It's true. Yeah. yeah. That's smart. So I tried Go ahead. to be open about those friendships that I have, you know, um, be open about this. And, um, but, you know, there's enough theater going on. <laughs> you can always navigate around your friends and still have enough to do. So, uh, and it turned out, I mean, I, what was a little sad was that I had to give up like opening night parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was always uh, enjoying myself very much because, as we all know, theater parties, as we all remember now, theater parties used to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the same in Munich, Germany. You know, we would always go and just dance the night away. But I think you can't do that when you're a critic. Yeah. You, you shouldn't, you know. Yeah. You, can, you can have a drink, you know. You can stay and have a wine and have a conversation with, with um, the people from the theater, but you shouldn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, that's something that every critic has to decide for for themselves. It's a it's a juggling act. It yeah. how how do I exist in this community, and mm-hmm. and still provide an honest forum for opinion? Because I am. I mean, as, as a critic, you're you work for the audience as much as you work for the the shows that you are reviewing, and you're you're trying to sell sell a group of people to go see a show and you're trying to keep theater people who are working on a show honest and 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 always trying to work harder at crafting a better product for the stage Mm -hmm. when you became the new theater critic for your paper did that take you outside of theater reviewing as well did so to look at other pieces of art I'm sure you already had like some, like like you have a wonderful painting behind you there in the background or picture. (laughs) And I would assume that there's some background knowledge in other areas of art, but I was wondering if they, you know, they like wanted you to take a look at art exhibits and stuff like that, like dance shows around town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have, uh, of course, we have experts Mm -hmm. in every field, right? You have the jazz guy, you have the uh, modern art guy, you have the architecture lady. So um, I enjoy always the exchange with with my coworkers who are experts in different fields. But now that I'm so focused on theater, I enjoy other fields of art to just approach emotionally and not have to think about them professionally. Uh, So I feel like I've, you know, I don't really write about music Mm -hmm. because I feel like now this is, this is the one field of art that I let myself just go with my emotions. I do not judge professionally. I soak it up. I love it. I hate it. You know, I don't, I don't um, have an objective argument in music you know yeah yeah. i let myself i i i I, I chose music uh it's like a substitute now this is this is the one thing that i'm not gonna get to professionally absolutely you know allow yourself to have that bias exactly Mm -hmm. exactly it just be like oh my god i love that new justin bieber song and i just don't care you know (laughs) (laughs) like you know absolutely Um, (laughs) absolutely and I don't even have to build up this complicated argument why it's a good song or not. I just, I just let myself like, just have let that. Just let me love lonely and, uh, in peace, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, like what's the other guy? What's that British guy that I really love? Harry Styles. Oh man, you doesn't know, everybody like love that. Harry Styles? Right? He is so Harry dreamy. Styles, right? God. It, <laughs> did, you, did you see that photo of him on Vogue with the dress? I did not see that cover. <laughs> yeah, he was the first male uh, to ever be on the cover of Vogue. Ooh. Uh, it was the American Vogue, I'm pretty yeah. sure. The Vogue of December. Uh, yeah, and he was wearing a dress. I mean, damn. That's, yeah, look it up. I will. That's really? that's both progressive <laughs> and hot. Let's see what the phone says here. <laughs> Harry Styles and Vogue. <gasps> there it is. Dan Rib for see? the win. The producer. Look see? at that. He's yeah. blowing up a balloon. What? I don't know. And he's just like wearing that dress like he just doesn't care. No. You know? He doesn't. See, that's unfair. Just too damn pretty and talented. Yeah. I'm over here. Growing out my beard because there's nothing to do outside. And he's he's wearing beautiful bell bottoms and a pink open pirate shirt. God, he's handsome. So, right. Anyway, so you know, I think I think it's important when you're when you're a lover of art in general, right? Mm-hmm. You gotta have those areas where you just feel and you don't judge, you know, and you don't try to label it. And in theater, I feel like my head that is true it's become a fact i mean i cannot go see a show without like having my mind go you know what's good what's bad so i will always do that but i'm okay with that um because i still have other areas that i can just let myself go and enjoy (laughs) when you were nervous about theater becoming not as fun for you anymore is that something that has happened because of this it sounds like there was you've had to make make the choice that i yeah yeah um not to the extent that i was afraid it was gonna happen fortunately um i realized that by getting to know stuff better um there's there's a lot of freedom and and possibility of growth in that too you know when you look deep into something you will always find more stuff that is interesting yeah so I found that to be true, fortunately. You know, oh, this is a good actor. Hmm, let's see where else has he played. Oh, this sounds like a good show. I'm going to go see that. Oh, that's an interesting new writer. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what else has he done? So one thing leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other. And uh, I find that extremely satisfying. You know, it's like a giant field of interesting people doing interesting things. And once you get into it, um, you just find more. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's a, that's an interesting test you can do for yourself. The moment this doesn't work anymore, you know, the moment you, you you're just bored, mm-hmm. you have to switch jobs. Yeah. And I've been doing this for seven years now, and it's still working. Good. You know. That's great. And also, yeah, also, um, I mean, we're talking normal times now, right? We're not talking Corona times. Sure. Uh, normal weeks, I will have. Uh, let's say four nights a week that I will have to go, have to go see a show. And I mean, let's be honest, a lot of the nights, you know, you've had your day at work, you come, you run home, you just grab a bite to eat. Of course you don't want to leave the house anymore. It's cold. It's dark, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You just want to stay home and watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead you have to go to the theater. But most of the time uh, when I did not want to go, Afterwards, I was happy I went on a very personal level because there was always something. There's mostly something 
that you connect with or that makes you thinking or that frustrates you even, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that is a good test for yourself as long as that works, as long as you come back most of the time having had an interesting experience on whatever level, mm. um, you're still uh, you're still good for the job. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, it makes total yeah. sense. <laughs> uh, it's almost like for me, like I'll have a hard day at work and then we got to go to practice and I'm always dreading practice from the moment I wake up because like, oh, it's, it makes the day so much longer. I'm away from my yeah. dog longer yeah. and I don't like that. And then I get to practice and then for the next two hours, I'm just, I'm energized and ready to, ready to go and I and when I was doing theater and going from work and then going to rehearsal I had the same kind of feelings just that that wave and then the second I got mm -hmm. into what I was doing in the night as much as I was dreading it during the day or as tired as I am there's a, a click and I'm back in it to make a reference to Tennessee Williams See? yeah Boom. but i think it's the same it's the same because you you keep doing it because you keep having this experience Absolutely. you know no matter how you dread it in the morning mm -hmm. uh once you're there and once you've done it you're happier and i think the body remembers that yeah you, you know it really does yeah, yeah. I, you're yeah. it's such a it's such a good point and i mean from your perspective too it, it's it just shows how if you're into the arts there's something that always triggers when you are exposed to it so I, I get the impression that there's still the same young Christiane walking into a theater with her notepad in hand that's excited about what's about to happen to some extent, no matter how much you'd rather be at home with, I don't know, the cover of Vogue and Harry Styles, that you're ready to like go embark on this nightly journey that you'd have to take. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does theater in Germany look like? I, I'm assuming they have their own playwrights. Obviously, they're putting on those shows predominantly. Is there a lot of Western influence coming over being translated? Not so much? Um, of course. Okay. You know, um, um, <laughs> uh, Western meaning American. Oh, no. Influence. I mean, I would even Europe. I mean, Samuel Beckett, I would assume, is being performed a lot in Germany. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but well, of Beckett, we think of one of our people. You yeah, know, yeah. He's a Euro, he's a Euro, he's European. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, every year uh, they make this list of you know what playwright was played most in German theater, oh, wow. what play was put on most in theater, like a statistic. Mm -hmm. You know, Shakespeare always wins. Wow. Shakespeare, and I think in the in the opera area it's Mozart, so that's not surprising, no, right? No. It's always Shakespeare and Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> So, if you're gonna uh, hang your hat on any yeah. two of those types of artists, that those are two right? two good ones to pick. Yeah. Yeah. So Shakespeare, Shakespeare is still big, um, no doubt about that. And of course, Beckett and uh, Tennessee Williams. Ayad Akta is uh, an American playwright that has been on German theater a lot. Okay. I don't know if that rings any bell. What, no? what type of um, um, stories is he, does he normally write, or they normally write? It's, it's political theater. He writes mm. uh, uh, like these four people sit down on a table and have a conversation about religion, you know, yeah. um, and then it kind of implodes. Yeah. That kind of situation. That, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of the stuff that he writes about. Um, yeah. He was, he's big on in, in, in German theater. But 
fortunately, there's also a scene of young playwrights rising at the moment um, of young German speaking playwrights that are given the opportunity to bring their work into the theater, which I think is, a, is an interesting trend because Shakespeare, playing Shakespeare is never a risk, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also boring sometimes. It can be. Yeah. So I think, yeah, so I think that uh, it's important to look into uh, new playwrights and younger playwrights and see what they've got in stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of um, like competitions for new new young German playwrights and a lot of like prices and um, to to kind of support them, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you notice a, because also oh, sorry go ahead on no, you finish yeah because it's a tough business it's a tough business you know and then uh being a writer for the theater you got to be really famous to make a living of that mm-hmm. i think it's the same in america Absolutely. you know um yeah yeah you got to be and, and and then there there will be one maybe and then he has a huge hit and then he's just forced to like write another one and another one like a best-selling author kind of thing you know so the market is, yeah, the market is pretty hot here too in Germany. You know, you always want the new stuff, the good stuff, and you want to have the world premiere by this writer and not the second production of the of this particular play. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the on the young, on the young playwrights. Are, are you noticing a a theme of the younger playwrights? Like, is there a certain voice that they have, or is the is it pretty varied? Um, I talked, interestingly, I talked to a publisher of, of theater plays only a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to him about what is the situation of, uh, you know, when you're a publisher of theater plays, what do you do when you have your playwrights in contract, but there's no theater at the moment, mm-hmm. right? How are they surviving? Yeah. Um, book book publishers are doing okay but theater publishers not so much and i was talking to him about this because he always walks around scanning for new trends and i asked him like what what he sees most of most of the time when he reads new plays by new uh, young writers and he said um it's interesting how young people young writers mostly um, try to be super political correct all the time Ah. Yeah, yeah, and they try to bring in, you know, uh, oh yeah, this aspect about climate change, and they bring in this aspect about racism, and they try to bring in, oh this and this is about gender equality too. You know, they wanna, they wanna be safe in every direction. Mm-hmm. He thought that he said he said he thought that was really boring, <laughs> you know, yeah. because when you try to make everything right in the end, you're just kind of like swimming in the middle of things and you have to take a risk yeah. if you're if you're a playwright so and i i agree a little uh especially this yo- younger generation now i mean like the 20 20 somethings try to um they're very moral mm-hmm. and um it's, which is not a bad thing no. you know but in art it's also about like taking risks and um well, it's hard to enact change if we're trying to cover all the bases without running the risk of offending somebody. Sometimes we mm-hmm. have to offend yeah. the senses in order to enact some type of movement. Like, mm-hmm. and if we're if we're trying to just cover our bases so nobody looks negatively on our voice, that we don't stick out. Yeah, it's almost it's almost a, a complicit complicity at that point. 
Yeah. It's really intriguing that the younger artists that younger writers would would do that. You were going to Yeah. Me? So yeah, I don't you do you know Yasmina Reza? Mm. She's a French uh, Yasmina Reza, yeah. she's a French mm-hmm. uh, playwright and uh she just wrote a um a one person show about an elderly actress. Okay. You know who's frustrated with theater life and um she looks back on her career and uh, Yasmina Reza explicitly wrote in the stage directions that she wants a male actor to play this part Wow! because to kind of like create a bigger distance mm. since it's already a theater person reflecting on theater. She did, I don't know what, exactly why she wanted that, but I'm assuming that, you know, she wanted to, to create a bigger abstraction. So there was a theater in uh, in in Zurich in Switzerland who who was gonna um, do the the world premiere or like the Swiss premiere for that show, and they said, oh no no no, if it uh, we're not gonna do it with a male person, you know, because women uh, we want to empower women and uh, we want to empower the elder like the the older actresses in our team, and, and they ended up not doing it because. Uh, you know, because the theater in that case wanted to be so correct. Yeah. Yeah. They said, okay, there's so many parts that are taken away by men anyway. We want to have a woman play this. And the writers, even though the writers said that's not what she wants. Mm-hmm. So they ended up not doing it. So um, that's that I think is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I, I, I'm only familiar with Yasmina through the play art, as I'm sure a lot of people who. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm would know her from there and that what's is what's the I, one with the hamster what's the one with the hamster oh um there's a play with with a hamster yeah the one like where two parents meet because their kids got into a fight gods at of, school god that of is carnage like a, of, gods yeah of that carnage. one yes i saw that oh. in miner's alley Woo! i know another right? one thank goodness yeah, 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 yeah. all right gods don't, don't come carnage. after me don't don't send angry tweets at me i'm sorry it took, of carnage. Yes, yeah, thank you exactly. for the save right there. All a great vomit scene from um, in that yeah. play. Very well, very well done. Anyway, what has yeah. theater in Germany been like this last year? Um, here mm-hmm. in America, uh, it's it's been different for a lot of people. I mean, there are equity equity rules that have come out over, over the course of the pandemic that have kind of shifted what stage actors can and can't do in a much more stricter way it's um there are theater companies that are essentially privately funded here that have been shut down Mm -hmm. some some shuttered permanently some resorting into online zoom plays and and one of the consistent things throughout is that our ability to perform has been severely curtailed if not completely eliminated i'm assuming it's very similar out Mm -hmm. there in germany yes yeah yeah sadly uh this weekend pretty much marks one year of mm-hmm. when the theaters first closed yeah yeah and we realized okay this is something that's not just gonna go away looking back on it it feels like theater in germany has been on the constant verge of wanting to reopen but then it just never really got to reopen so far um we've had a small window of time i think in july august september october when there was some sort of um like outdoor theater possible and even in october even uh inside theater with only 50 visitors Mm -hmm. that was the rule but that was when the numbers were 
down in Germany to a degree where it was responsible to to reopen the theaters. So it's been there. There's been a lot of streaming. Yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot of streaming, and let me tell you, it was not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> See, uh, um, the good, the nice thing about theater is that it's something that you experience in a room with people, yes. right? It's one of its biggest qualities is that it's not a digital experience. Mm -hmm. So what happened the moment the, the theater realized, okay, we don't have that now. We don't have the possibility to meet face-to-face. -face. How would you say in English? It's, like, yeah, it's not digital, but it's in oh, the room. analog. It's, uh, analog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Analog. Here we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that opportunity is not there. Oh, what do we do? Why don't we just set up a camera and and like have the actors play on stage and just record that and stream that to people's houses? So and of course, since I'm a theater critic, I had to watch all this, right? Oh. And just try to see, <laughs> like, huh, what do we make of this? And um, so it was. I mean, from my perspective, and I say this right uh, with all my love for theater, it was a it was a process of learning this last year. I want to say for the theater um, because they had to realize how can we be present when we're not present you know and what opportunities do we have to bring some of the spark of theater to bring that on the computer monitors because when you narrow it down that that's really all there was most of the time mm -hmm. so i i think there was a process of learning and trial and trial and error and a lot of errors and mm -hmm. you know um and it's just gotten a little bit more interesting, I want to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I thought that was really interesting to see how little flexibility there was. I mean, I think highly of theater people, right? Mm -hmm. I think they're really creative and they're flexible in their minds and they're full of fantasies and ideas and they're quick and they're fast, but they were in shock. They were paralyzed and nothing interesting happened. And I didn't really... I didn't really understand why that was the case, mm -hmm. why that had to be the case, because I thought, okay, you know what? I mean, I've, I've been looking at um, the theater for seven years now, and I see where its structural problems are, and I talk to actors, and I they tell me how high the pressure is and how um, frustrating it can be to be stuck in this, you know, it's a company after all, right? And it's, a wor it's work, and you have to go. And so I thought it should be liberating to them to... to um, to have the opportunity to really have the time now to think of how how do we want to do what kind of theater do we want to do mm. who do we want to be as a theater and um that frustrated me that that didn't happen right yeah. they were just trying to they were in shock and then they were trying to recreate like a theatrical experience with like really poor technical means mm -hmm. yeah so I thought, why not just shut down everything and just go home? And you guys, you, know, you talk about what are we, what do we do? What is this that we're doing? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, what type of theater? Now is the time you can make all the changes you've always wanted to make, but not have had the time to make. Yeah, absolutely. But they didn't. And in Germany, and that is important to say at this point, um, a theater is highly funded by the state. Mm. I looked into this before we talked, just to be sure. I mean, we I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, the, the theater in Germany is unique in the world because it's 
to 100%. A lot of the theaters are funded by the state 100%. So that yeah, so that guarantees complete freedom mm-hmm. of art, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's important to know that because I don't judge other theaters, other countries who felt like okay, this is about living or dying now. You know, we have to do something because otherwise, if we don't if we don't react to this crisis, we're going to be unemployed. We just don't, we're not going to have any money. In Germany, people at the theater they still got their money. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, I'm happy about this, but I think it guarantees freedom now um, for them to rethink structures and missions. Like, why are we even here? What are we doing? You know, really gives them the opportunity to come up with some actionable yeah. plans for the future when they come out of it. I, it's it's so it's, cool to mm-hmm. hear that those theaters are 100% funded by by the state mm-hmm. it, and and at the same time a lot of them a lot, a lot of, them, of them yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. then, there's private ones yeah yeah and at the same time there are artists like playwrights that aren't picking a side in terms of like what they're creating it seems like it, it doesn't sound like the state is willing has got their hand on every theater that they're funding going like can't do that play can't do it like that got to cut that part like they're allowed to even with that influence it's amazing and the fact that there's a disconnect between the playwrights in certain cases not all but enough to where it's a trend is very unique yeah it's true it's true it's um i mean the freedom of art is in our constitution Mm. and um you know germans like to think of themselves as like the country of thinkers and philosophers and we have Schiller and Goethe and uh, Beethoven and all that and um, so uh, but there's there's some good to that self-image you know which is like okay we're responsible not only do we you know bring this to the world we have the responsibility to preserve it yeah absolutely yeah so yeah so I think the, the idea that's behind that uh, you know, like every major city has a city theater and then a state theater. And that implies that it's funded by either the state, mm-hmm. as in like, I'm in Munich, this, my state is Bavaria, mm-hmm. yeah, as you're in Colorado. Um, and the city of Munich has their own theater. Um, and so that guarantees, uh, that idea guarantees that uh, art doesn't need to be, what's the word? Like, it doesn't um. have to pay off. You know? It doesn't necessarily have to be economically viable. Like we, we, we economically will, viable. Yeah, we can support. Yeah. We we want the arts out there. We're going to support them, whether it's making money or not. Exactly. So what that does, it creates freedom. You know, mm-hmm. to be daring and to to risk stuff and try out stuff, even though the audience might not like it. You know. Yeah. And the the government the influence the government has is that they just they have a saying in who the artistic director is wow. in a theater and of course you know if you're um if you're the boss of like the muni city theater which is the kammerspiele which is a really beautiful theater of course they're gonna i mean you know they're funded by the city of course they're gonna have to show their numbers and of course if there's 20 people coming uh, a week, of course, we're going to have that discussion, like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
you you will still have that discussion, uh, the, the the quality discussion, like is it working or is it not working? And stuff, which I think is okay, you know, because art, yeah, needs to be daring, but it's also for the people. Yeah. So I think there's a you have to find a balance in that when you run a theater. Luckily, you have thirty sh different shows. What harm is it if you? lay it out a little and you do a little bit of that and you do a little bit of this. Mm -hmm. When you talk about that type of, I will say government influence, it's just, it's really touching that they, there is at least from this outsider's perspective, this semblance of care and acknowledgement of the importance mm -hmm. of art and that they would be, sitting in with like an artistic director is like hey your numbers are pretty low what why are the audiences coming in let's yeah. try and we need to fix this it, it's it's mm -hmm. it's really it's really kind of inspiring it i just i don't what what we have here in the states it all feels like even as an actor that participates in it it feels like commodity driven we've got to we've got to make a certain number of money on every show so we break even we've got to be able to pay actors a specific amount some theaters can some theaters can't some theaters don't do it at all some theaters exceed that some of them are operating on equity contracts where they're getting a specific type of artist involved on other projects while i don't think you know a government-funded theater is stagnant at all there's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there's pressure with on that company to do something grand for the sake of doing something grand. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> ah. Yeah, it's true. But um, again, I, I was a little disappointed to see people people become lazy i oh. think you know when it's too comfortable you become lazy and i was amazed to see how uh, how in other countries uh, theaters reacted to to the corona crisis because they just had to yeah you know mm. and sometimes that is not the worst motivation to um you're flexible you're more flexible when you know you have to you have okay the audience is not coming to you so you have to come to the audience yeah. and you better make it quick because you know, your job depends on this. That'll, you know, not only create that pressure, sometimes it also creates creativity. And I miss that a little, mm. you know? Yeah. They were like, oh, we're in shock. What do we do? I had a, I had a question I wanted to jump in on. Yeah. Um, so right now in Denver and in the United States in general, there's this big push for inclusion, diversity, equity. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a big push in the theater scene and just uh, with with the audiences in general. Um, what was the effect of like was the Black Lives Matter movement as effective across the entire world? And and are you seeing more of that in in your theater right now? I would not pin it down to the Black Lives Matter movement being the moment where that came in, but it certainly was the moment where it clicked for a lot of people who until then had not really thought about this being a problem, you know. Um, as I said before, I yes, I agree. We have the same, uh, we have the same issues at the moment at, uh, in German theater. Um, 
try to make it more diverse in all areas. Inclusion, you said, right? Mm -hmm. Equity, inclusion. Yes, we've had that. It's, uh, looking back from to, to, to my seven years, <laughs> my long seven year long career, uh, it's really, really become an issue over the last three years, I want to say. It's really been just not being able to, to ignore it anymore. And the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, that's a complex uh, subject, too complex, maybe, um, because there were people in Germany, obviously, who tried to push it away, saying, oh, we don't even have that many Black people in Germany, <laughs> you know? It's got nothing to do with us, because we don't, we don't even have that many Black people. Uh, ignoring the idea that it's, yeah, it was about Black people, mm. but racism is something that's um, inherent in most cultures. And course, um, yeah. it helped a lot of people come forward and um, being loud and asking for things. And um, like I said, at the very beginning of our conversation, um, this, this case, this Me Too case uh, of the artistic director, I think, don't get me wrong, I think some of it has to do with this general uh, feel that now is the time to make a change, whether it be, you know, women coming forward and saying, okay, we don't accept this sort of sexist behavior in theater anymore, or um, um, BPOC coming forward, or trans people, or, in, you know, um, pe disabled people come forward and say, okay, no, we don't accept that. We don't accept the system as it is anymore. We want to change, and we want to be part of that change. So, um, I think all these movements, which are, I think, one big movement, mm -hmm. after all, uh, they are saying we don't accept this anymore. Also in theater, and maybe especially in theater, because we think of ourselves as artists, and theater is a utopia also, and we, you know, and we cannot criticize stuff on stage and then have it done backstage the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a bias. Is that the word? Yes. Yeah. So yes, we have to, we have these discussions all the time, all the time. I, I think I think one of the things that we've from as I've witnessed this the, these these changes um, socially and in civil in terms of civil rights for everybody within the last four years here in America, I think one of the things that I've noticed in that navigation of these types of conversations or Mm -hmm. our responsibilities in specific jobs is to be as honest as we can with it. I think for me now it's incumbent that we have these conversations and that we go down these dark roads because that's the only way we get to the light at the end of it. If we just stay mm -hmm. outside of it, if we are afraid to go into that darkness, there's nothing to be gained. Like everything stays the same. And as, and as you're witnessing staying the same, remaining stagnant, doesn't solve any problem they keep they they fester they repeat themselves you're talking about mm -hmm. uh, your class system there the hierarchy in german theater where it's more times than not a white man at the top disseminating roles and responsibilities and and viewpoints mm -hmm. for then an entire theater company and while that one 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 at one theater you might have a, a guy that is doing you know the best work he can and challenges himself and is is being open to the idea of being wrong about certain belief systems and trying to grow there's another theater being run in a similar fashion by somebody who doesn't see those biases within themselves and is mm -hmm. making the same choices that are negatively impacting uh either 
whether they know it or not, a specific group of people that have been trying to have their voices heard for a long time. And as we're mm-hmm. seeing here in Colorado specifically, um, and across the nation and across the world, these questions are being brought up and we're having to, we're having to answer them because we've wasted too much time. Even in like, I, I, I was watching a documentary and I'm off on this tangent. So forgive me ghosties, but I was watching this documentary and they were talking about, you know, reconciliation after the civil war here in America. And it felt like we never reconciled. We just, we just fought the war. We freed the slaves. We asked everyone to shut up and move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we never like, see, we're done with racism. And that was clearly not the case. We started instituting other laws to mm-hmm. keep certain practices in place. We allowed other people with money and power to determine how they built their communities, what, you know, so on and so forth. We never faced it. We never dealt with it appropriately. And now we have to, because mm-hmm. it's gone on too long without it. Every time we've had a civil rights movement, there's some growth Every time there's been like with women's suffrage, when we, you know, there was, there was a little bit of growth and then some syntax choice in the constitution that allowed us to tamp that improvement down. And we've done that at every stage of our development here in America. And that's trickled down to every system that supports it, medical, um, economically, residentially and theater based as well. And that's, yeah. That is, those are hard waters to navigate and it's. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think every country has their own history of racism. There's hardly anyone better than the other. You know, you just have a different, uh, a different story. Mm -hmm. I wish I could say there were countries in the world who are completely clean and and innocent of, 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 of racism, but I want to say no. You know, um, so yeah, here people, I think people here uh, from what I see and, you know, I write, uh, I mean, I work at the newspaper, so I talk a lot to my coworkers who um, write about politics and write about uh, stuff like that. And the feedback we get from our readers mm-hmm. is that a lot of people find it hard even to, to, to connect with these ideas or connect or like even reflect on the idea that uh, there is racism also in German society, you know? Uh, As I said, at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, there were people who said, oh, luckily this has got nothing to do with us because they're black and we don't have that, you know? How weird is that, you know? Mm -hmm. Try to push it away because it's like, oh, it's it's an American thing. It's got nothing to do with us. And, I mean, the great trauma of the German people is uh, the Holocaust, yeah. right? So there were a lot of people who said, oh, we're busy. We're already busy dealing with that. Yeah. So we, we don't have capacity to deal with structural racism. Or like we, you call it structural racism, yeah, yeah. right? Like we call it like everyday racism. You know, if you have a Turkish sounding name in Germany, you're less likely to get an apartment. Well, you get less likely to get a job, yeah. you know, that is like structural daily racism and that is real, right? And a lot of people uh, didn't want to look into that because they said, oh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 
saying it like lightheartedly, but they oh, we already get the Holocaust to deal with, yeah. right? We don't we don't have capacity yeah. to deal with this other stuff. Uh, but it's important, of course, it's important uh, yeah. to have these discussions, and they're like creeping into every little uh, every little conversation, every little decision you make, and it's uh, it's important. And it's but as I said, it's hard, it's it's interesting to be a journalist these days, but it's it's rough, you know, because you get attacked. Yeah. from both sides yeah. you know it's, it's and, and you're not a people pleaser you don't choose this job to be a people pleaser yeah. right and i want to say even if you um there's a saying uh, uh that i learned in journalist school that says as a journalist you don't take sides even if it's the good side mm-hmm. you know yeah. you're supposed to stay objectively and that brings me back to saying that it's it's become more difficult to to uh put things into words um, because of course I want to be political correct. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt anybody with the words I choose, mm-hmm. but of course I'm a critic, right? I still want to be able to objectively criticize things I see mm-hmm. or art I see. And that has become really, really difficult. Yeah. yeah. You get attacked very easily from both sides from like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it happens, so, yeah, it happens yeah. here all the time. You're damned yeah. if you do, you're damned if yeah. you don't especially in this world that kind of demands sides be taken all the time yeah yeah we're, we're so no into no and i yeah yes sure and like um i think uh, uh my bosses um i have two that's why i said my bosses mm. um they're very much for discussion too so they will always have um they will always make room in our paper for a voice that is criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, they will always make that space because they say, yeah, it's important to have that discussion wow. still. And um, it's not, we're not speaker of a movement, you know, we're there to, to, to create the room for discussion. And I think that is very important. So you have the saying that you want to give equal voice to both sides of the yeah, argument. Yeah. Uh, but how do you draw the line when one side of the argument or the other is clearly mm-hmm. dangerous or it's propaganda? How do you and how do you draw that line? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. My The students that I teach, they ask that a lot. Like, are you allowed to write everything you want in the newspaper? Mm-hmm. Like, really? Everything? And then I say yes and no. You know, mm-hmm. there's like nobody telling me what opinion I'm supposed to have. But yes, of course. I mean, I'm a. I work at the Süddeutsche Zeitung, which is like a liberal left, leftish uh, newspaper. Uh, yeah, if someone's a Nazi, then you do not get a saying in our paper, you know. Yeah. And if you have any, uh, um, yeah, if you're hurting, if what you're saying is hurting human rights and it's not in line with our constitution we're not going to give you the space to say it. But if you are critical, if you're smart and you're critical about um, left-wing feminism, Mm -hmm. you will have the opportunity. If you you have a smart argument, um, there will be the space to, to, to discuss it. It feels like what you provide is a, an opportunity for civil discourse. Yeah. Something is deliberately hurtful or, racist yeah. misogynistic it doesn't sound like there's a place for that or at least you don't provide a place for that willingly yeah yeah, yeah. 
interesting don't you feel like don't you feel like that is um there is something at loss at the moment you know that that the discussions sometimes are so heated that um there really is no dis yeah. no constructive discussion possible anymore i would i would say that for me yeah. and i won't speak for dan um but one of the things that I've, i i noticed with trump was that he was just the loudest mm -hmm. angriest voice in the room mm -hmm. every time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there there is a propensity for humans not just americans to gravitate mm -hmm. towards that if they buy into any iota of what that loud angry voice is saying they'll they'll turn their head they'll listen and if they hear enough stuff that they can justify mm -hmm. or massage away and that voice still st still stays loud and angry will follow i mean there are people who are on the left that have loud angry voices that i listen to i, I listen mm -hmm. to rachel maddow sometimes she's very loud mm -hmm. sometimes she's very angry and she is very smart in my opinion i don't find her to be dumb and she delivers her opinion in uh, with a specific rhetoric that is not uncommon on fox news it's not delivered. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's delivered mm -hmm. the same way. It's just, she says something I agree with. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to buy into that. I, 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 I think we're, we're good at that. And to, to get to the, to answer your question, I mean, I find it is harder and harder to have a conversation in, where you can actually calmly debate a specific topic. I, I, yeah. we don't we just don't do it enough i mean there's we uh, i'm a big sports guy you watch espn during the day and it's talking heads yelling at each other you turn mm -hmm. on the news and it's the same like you watch the uh, meet the press on sundays and sometimes it's a panel of people who agree with each other and they're all yelling at each other because they want to be heard <laughs> and i, I, I yeah. think like yeah. that just I'll sum up with this. We all want to be heard and mm -hmm. we're not, we, we may not always understand that the best way to be heard is to listen and then raise your hand to speak. That is true. But I don't believe in uh, like leaving people out of conversation, mm -hmm. you know, um, as a feminist, yeah. um, I strongly disagree with other feminists saying men need to shut up now mm. you know mm. i don't believe in that because i believe that it's we're in this together and we need men i can only speak like yeah. that's easiest for me to speak as a woman yeah. right we need men in the conversation we need reasonable men in the conversation like you know what i mean okay. like this Allies. aggressive this, this silencing yeah yeah silencing men and like saying okay you've you've had your share of power you've had your share of time you shut up now i mean yeah for a moment yes you know what i mean yeah. but like in general we need you in the debate yeah absolutely you know and i believe that is true for all the cases that we've just discussed yeah. and um you need support yeah, from other, you need, definitely need support from yeah. other parties yeah. if what if a, if a man is worried about holding on to his power what does that power look like when no one else has any to me, that looks weak. Yeah. It looks insecure. Yeah. I feel like power is only amplified when everyone has an opportunity to share in it. Yeah. You know, the, the, 
the spoils are better when we're all enjoying them. If and if yeah. you need, if you're trying to at the very least ask for equal footing, you know, to be treated as an equal, yeah. just matter in the conversation mm -hmm. or in a, 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 the political realm or the <clears throat> professional realm you need support from people who are outside of your group that's asking for yeah makes sense yeah we need yeah support. and there's yeah yeah absolutely and there's no good in like pushing those pushing the other ones away you know i also i don't believe in reversing the system you'll still be in the system yeah. you know i don't believe that the world would be a better place if there were only women in power no you know yeah. i don't believe if you reverse the system you'll still have the system you need to work on it together yeah. maybe that's naive or idealistic but um that's that's what i believe in so hope is not a hope is a dangerous thing but it's also a very good thing <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to ask you a question. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to steer us in a different direction now. Yeah. Um, oh my God. How, look where we've, look how far we've come. It's a, I've, I've had a great time thus far. I, I hope you have yeah, too. This yeah. has been a very enlightening conversation. So thank you, Christiane. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I understand you've done um, work on the passion play. Um, yeah, I, I would love to hear about this because my knowledge of it is as a student yeah. in college, hearing how theater kind of started, and uh, I believe it was uh, mm -hmm. I want to say Corpus Christi, but I think that's just a, a city in Texas. So forgive me. Uh, but the, <laughs> these these pageants, these rolling trucks coming on and, and displaying uh, something of the divinity, the divinity or Jesus's um, struggle. Um, so on and so forth what was your work been like with that and please feel free to educate this uh 30 yeah. year old man <laughs> finally finally the passion play yes. yeah <laughs> something i am very passionate about nice. so uh i live in munich bavaria right and i'm sure that all of your uh beloved listeners have an image coming up to their heads when they think of bavaria and let me tell you it is all true nice. yeah so uh, in Bavaria, there's this little town of Oberammergau, which uh, claims to be to, to have the world's oldest um, and biggest passion play, and that means passion play is uh, the last days of Jesus Christ, right? His um, crucifixion uh, until the resurrection, and uh, during the thirty-year-old uh, during the thirty-year war. Is that how you say it in English? Mm -hmm. There was a 30 year yeah. war. The 30 year war in Europe, um, there was a great plague, the great plague everywhere in, in, in Europe. People were dying, and obviously, people didn't know what happened, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't know about viruses, <laughs> they didn't had no idea. So, they thought it was a godly punishment. So, the way um, of, of uh, asking for God's help would be, okay, dear God, if you only um, save us from this plague, as a thank you to you, we're going to put on a show for you, and it's going to be a passion play. So in 60, 1633 is when the Oberammergau passion play was um, put on stage for the very first time. And this legend has it that after they've done this, um, no one ever died of the plague again in the town. Huh. So ever since then, uh, every 10 years, 
the small town of Oberammergau is um, putting up the passion play and it's become this very world famous uh, theater spectacle with uh, half a million visitors from all over the world. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and the whole yeah, and I heard about this a couple of years ago when I started working for the paper and I thought, huh, this is interesting, you know, mm-hmm. a <laughs> little bit of weird, varied history, a little bit of theater. That sounds like a good mix. I'm going to look into that. And <laughs> so I got in touch with the artistic director who's also from Oberammergau because to be in it, you have to be resident of Oberammergau, right? I couldn't be in it because I don't live there. Uh, and I said, uh, I really want to, I'm really interested and I really want to um, see how you do it, right? Yeah. Because uh, the passion play was supposed to happen in 2020 oh, last year. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent three years following them around. You know, they have all these weird um, traditions, for instance, uh, a year and a half before the passion play, everyone that's in the passion play has to stop shaving or cutting their hair. So by the time the passion play opens, they all have the biblical hairstyle and the beards, you know, because half the town is involved that means two and a half thousand people are involved so there's no time and no money to you know um glue fake beards to everybody's faces well not everybody's but to to Mm -hmm. their faces so they have all these weird traditions and i uh i followed the the preparations for the passion play i went to israel with the group of actors um to prepare for that because how weird is that there's two guys who are actually playing jesus wow. you know yeah. <laughs> you know i mean if you're a believer or not it doesn't really matter you know jesus is a big deal and yeah. you know you have half a million people from around the world and it's a naturalistic play too it's not an abstract piece of art where you can just kind of you know, no, 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 there really is a cross on stage and there really is a crucifixion scene. They play this five months wow. every other night. And so the Jesus guy will have to be cruci- crucified uh, every other night. Huh. So that does something to your brain, yeah. right? That's intense. So, yeah, so you know what I mean? I thought this is so interesting on so many levels. There's this religious level, that weird, weird Jesus uh, story and you have that uh, the little town who all helps together to make this come alive and you have half a million tourists from all over the world literally uh, most of the people act, most of the people that come from outside of Germany come from the United States yeah really did you know that uh, no I would have never guessed that's insane yeah no um, yeah America and Australia like at Oktoberfest so. oh, okay <laughs> No. Uh, yeah. Wow. That is, uh, I, I'm amazed that for me, that is so cool that it, something like that still exists mm-hmm. and on such a grand scale. Yeah. Has, have there been any other cancellations between its first and, and now? Cause I was going to say it'd be pretty, yeah. it'd be pretty odd if it, they did it for the first time to get rid of the plague and it was canceled because of another plague. <laughs> yeah, that's the irony, right? That's the irony of the situation that we have this year. It was invented to overcome a plague and now it's not happening because of a plague. Mm. 
yeah, I think it was in the, I think in the almost, you know, it's almost 400 years that this exists. It's been canceled, I think, three or four times um, due to war. Um, there were no plays, of course, in 1940. Uh, because that was when Germany was at war. There was there were plays in in uh, 1950 again, and ever since uh, they've done it every 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, so this was really, like I said, uh, it, it's pretty. It's one year ago that they ca- that they had to cancel it. Uh, it was everything was ready pretty much. You know, um, I was gonna write a book about this. Uh, me and a co-worker uh, together he's a photographer as well so he always came along and we took a bunch of pictures and we interviewed every you know every Jesus every Mary everybody you know did interviews and like I said went to Israel with them and uh, I hung out there a lot in Oba Amagal it's a pretty pretty mountain town near in the Alps it's very pretty um, and we were you know, everybody was on fire. We were writing the book and editing the photos and they were like rehearsing the final scenes. It was March and it was supposed to open, uh, I think May 5th or something. And they can't, obviously they had to cancel it. Um, They had to cancel it a year ago. And fortunately they moved it to 2022. Last year, I thought, huh, why didn't they just move it to 2021? Of course, us all being Corona naive, mm. right? Yeah. We thought this was going to be like a three-month thing, and then it was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they were wiser. They realized it, this is going to be bigger, and they moved it to 2022. So, um, is the book everybody still cut their hair? Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. I hope so. I hope so. I had to distract myself a little. I was very sad when it got canceled. Yeah. Um, so people got to cut their hair again, which they did. <laughs> the guys looked a little bit like you. <laughs> <laughs> so handsome. But with a longer beard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it was just a month ago that they started to regrow again. You know, it was that that date again um in february yeah so this is an interesting i mean also i see uh this is part of my job too you know it is not like regular city theater but it's a very theatrical tradition Mm -hmm. um one of the oldest theatrical traditions in the world in this village and yeah we have a lot of things that are mixed into that it's not just an artistic project I don't think they call it an artistic project. To them, it's part of their identity as a person from Uba Amagao. You're in this, right? And I can understand the magic of that. I can see why you get hooked. You know, the the, the small town, I think there's like 5,000 people who live there. Mm -hmm. Half of the people are involved, you know, either on stage or backstage. They have a choir, they have an orchestra, right? Mm -hmm. They have people in the costume apartment, in the set design, or uh, ushers, you know, yeah. people working uh, in, the, in ticketing and stuff. So I totally get why that is exciting to be a part of. And they don't do it because they think it's art. Mm-hmm. They do it because it's part of who they are. Yeah, it's part of their culture. Yeah. Oh, was... Do you think you'd be, you'd, be, uh, you'd be in the passion play or you wouldn't be in the passion play um... if you lived there? If I live there, 
Yeah. I, I, I feel, I feel like I would be a part of it. I am a, I am an atheist myself. Um, I doesn't matter. Yeah, but I, I think if I lived there, I'd be like, yeah. If it was passed down generationally, like mm-hmm. the opportunity to to do this and present such a important story to so many people, yeah, I'd sign up every year, every time. Right. Yeah. Every ten years. Yeah. Because the message the message itself is bigger than my beliefs. And yeah. It's bigger than me. I feel like that it's I'm I'm not gonna begin to sit here and, and say that it's wrong because I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. not it's just not for me. But I'll it means that much to you and it's an opportunity to perform. Me personally, I would definitely go up there and do what I could. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean there's there you it used to just be for Catholic. Mm because in Bavaria, everybody's Catholic. So we, uh, it used to just be for Catholics, but um, a couple of years ago, a couple of passion plays ago, mm-hmm. the artistic director said, oh, through that, mm-hmm. uh, whoever wants to be part of it, you have to be, you know, you have to live in Oberammergau. Yeah. That's, that's uh, yeah, you have to provide that. But other than that, and I talked to a lot of people who are in the play who either, I mean, they're, I don't think there's a Jew, but there's certainly Muslims in the Passion Play oh. and a bunch of atheists. And yeah, yeah. That's great. But they do it for the, like you said, they do it for the bigger idea, you mm-hmm. know, like of this encounter and coming together and bringing it to life. And it's a good story after all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the world's famous, <laughs> most famous stories. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Christiane, I've, so, I've had yeah. such a great time talking with you and learning about your yeah, perspective. Um, before we sign off, what is that ghost mm-hmm. light you wish was left on for you when you started your career, that piece of advice you'd like to hand off to the next generation? Um, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think there's a certain relief in that you know and especially as journalists we like to think of ourselves uh, as very important or of our opinions as very important and our names and our pictures you know uh, journalists are always um, a little bit narcissists of course you know you have your name in a paper or online like and um, yeah I wish I had been a little bit cooler about that at the beginning because I put a lot of pressure on myself and um, we're all just humans. And even as a journalist, yeah, you have to work carefully, but you're just one person and um, with one opinion. And when you're writing a critic about a theater piece, it is not the truth about this artistic production it is your perspective Absolutely. so don't take yourself too seriously yeah mm-hmm. oh that's i couldn't agree with you more that thank yeah. you so much um ghosties again we're sitting with christian lutz german theater critic um what's the paper that you work for yeah it's the Zeitung. i'll make sure that we get that uh down and we'll, we'll try and get a link to your your, your home page out there that'd be great um, with that yeah, being cool. said, Harry Styles, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing it well. Um, we love you here at the Ghost Lights Podcast. We love you, Ghosties. 
Dan do the damn thing. <laughs>